Welcome to the Fearless Mom Podcast. We're a community of moms cheering each other on and challenging each other to be the moms we're created to be. This is a shame-free, guilt-free, judgment-free zone, and we're so glad that you're with us. Today, you're going to get to hear from Sissy Goff and David Thomas. This is an interview I did with them for the 2021 Fearless Mom Conference, and they are counselors from Daystar Counseling in um, Nashville, Tennessee, and they are full of wisdom and insight and have incredible experience with counseling. And so I'm excited that you get to hear from them. We love our partnership with them, and we hope you enjoy this interview. Guys, we are so excited to have special guests with us at Fearless Mom. And we have David and Sissy. We are so pumped, guys. We're starting the conference tomorrow. We asked them if they would come in Friday and do a little bit of conversation, a little bit of Q&A. And we basically did no preparation other than your years and years and years of experience. Because I said, I know you're gonna be able to answer these questions that mom and moms have. And um, this is what you do all the time. And your wisdom comes through on your podcast. Your wisdom comes through just from reading your website, your whole, um, the culture that you have and, and the tone that you set is pretty amazing. So if you haven't already, you definitely want to check out Raising Boys and Girls, the podcast, as well as RaisingBoysAndGirls.com and DaystarCounseling.com. It, both of those. So we can't say enough about them that we are thrilled that they are here with us. And I want to go ahead and jump in. I'm Julie Richard, um, the queen bee of Fearless Mom. I like that better than the founder. You know what I mean? The queen. I actually tell my children, when my children would have friends over, I would stand up on a chair and I would say, I'm the queen and you are my people. Um, and, and you're welcome to my kingdom, but this is my kingdom and there are rules in the kingdom. And um, so I did not, now at VBS one year confession, I did ask all the children to call me your majesty, but, but it was part of the theme. I felt like it was okay. Um, what I really, my goal was is that I would see somebody at the grocery store and they would yell, Mom, there's your majesty. <laughs> it never happened, but I'm gonna try it again. I'm gonna try it again. But I, um, I, I am the founder of Fearless Mom and I am not a therapist, I am an enthusiast. And so yes, I teach about marriage and family, but it's not because um, I've done it perfectly or because I've done the years um, of study that you guys have done, but it's because I believe passionately that um, if we can empower and equip moms to actually enjoy what they're doing, then we can literally change the next generation and change the world. And I'm not overstating it when I say moms are rock and moms are in charge of raising the next generation. Dads too, kudos to dads as well. But what we say in Fearless Mom um, is we're gonna talk about marriage, we're gonna talk about family, forget about your husband. And I say that because what we do is we embrace the responsibility that we have. I'm not here to learn to, um, things that I can tell my husband what to do. I'm here to learn what I can do, to be the best mom, to be the best wife, to be the best me that I can be. And so that's what we, we say all the time. It's really about personal responsibility. And so we're so thrilled that you guys do have that experience and that you're willing to share your wisdom, your training, your experience with us. And so um, I wanna start just by letting you, if you would, introduce yourselves. Tell us about um, what you do, your family, and all those things. Give us a little background info. You go ahead. 
We will, Your Majesty. <laughs> oh! Uh, you know what? This is what I do sometimes when I'll go, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did I distract you? I love it. Uh huh. You want to go I first? I do that sometimes. Oh, I'm still recovering from her. I also laugh. Just, just for the record, I, I, tears. I also respond to my lady. My lady. It's like an apostrophe so M. My lady. Okay, go ahead. My lady. I'm sorry. Yes. Your Majesty. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. We are honored to be here sitting in this room with you. And, and I know I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again and again. Like, I feel like there is such a, a connection because I think we're passionate about the same things. I really do. And Thank you. Thank we're you. thrilled for you to have us back. And I think just the spirit of what you've created in, in terms of just a place to learn, a place to laugh, a place to extend grace, help moms extend more grace to themselves. Like we just were excited to be here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank we're you for thrilled. being here. Thank you. And, and Sissy and I have had the great privilege of practicing at this amazing place in Nashville, Tennessee called Daystar Counseling where you have been since 93, is that right? Yeah. And I've been since 97, so we started. We were 10 years yeah, old. Yeah, you were we about started. 10, I, I was I 11. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is an amazing place and really different. We serve the pediatric population. So we just see children, adolescents, and families, and we do it in a really different way in that we're in a house and not an office. And we, that was a very intentional decision and we work with this incredible group of people, some of my favorite humans, and some of my favorite canines That's also. What I was about yeah. to throw in. We have therapy dogs on staff who are the most sought after therapists. We're all very aware that we're behind them in line. I have a therapy dog who has more letters behind his name than me. So it's very That's humbling so to excellent. own a dog yes. yeah, with more letters. And love the work that I get to do and how we learn from kids and families. And I think that you know, out of that, we've been able to write some books and speak and have opportunities to travel. And, and our hope is always really just to take what we're learning sitting with kids day in and day out and, and bring that into opportunities we have to be with parents. And so in addition to that, I have been married for 25 years. We celebrated Excellent. in COVID. Love yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, we celebrated in COVID when you can, you know, order from Uber Eats for your anniversary. So um, incredibly grateful for my wife and we have three children. My oldest is a girl and then I shared when I was here last time, we got a whopper of a surprise and found out we were having twins. And so I have twin boys who are 18 years old, yeah. That's so awesome, these are twins down here. That was my honor. Are you really? Yes, right down here. Love meeting twins. I'd like to interview you afterwards. <laughs> so that's kind of a, a big picture snapshot. I would add to the Daystar piece of it. I think my favorite quote ever about Daystar is a little girl walked out of our, our we we're in a little yellow house with a white picket fence and this little girl walked out with her mom and she said, mom, you know, I've been thinking, I don't really go to Daystar to talk about my problems. I totally forgot what I was going to say. I'm glad we talk about progress, growth mindset. What is the thing? What did she, she say? Said, I don't I go just, to Daystar for counseling. I just go to talk about my problems. I love it. Yes. Sweet. Yes, I, I know. It. it felt like the biggest compliment we could ever get. I love but it. But I love it. Even when you, it, you're, the house makes you smile. 
I, I don't know if it, someone chose the yellow It doesn't us some days, but, <laughs> but yes. Those of us who only see pictures on Instagram. <laughs> but it, it is, and, and I know everything you do, which a, a word that we use a lot at Fearless Mom is intentional. Mm. We don't want to add to mom's to-do list. We just want to yes. help you be intentional in what you're already doing. And there are little tweaks, little things. The house could be painted any color, but an intentional color. I, I, the You know, you could have anyone, you could have your office anywhere, but you're intentional about having it there. And I, mm. I think that's part of the connection. And, and <laughs> plus your book on intentional parenting, you know, that, that also that's adds to connection. it. But, but I, I do think that um, it's very apparent from all of the communication that comes out of Daystar, um, that you guys are very intentional. The passion and the intentionality, I, I think, comes through. And so tell, tell us about your family. So I don't have any kids of my own, but have, I don't know how many thousands of girls I've counseled over the years and families, but I have kind of a, I had a surprise in my family too, and I just told this on my breakout, but I was an only child till I was 16, and then my parents came to me and told me they were pregnant, which you can imagine is a total shocker. Evidently, my first words back to my mom was, I didn't know that y'all did that anymore. <laughs> so, so I had a little sister at 16 who was like my mascot of my group of friends. She is delightful and my best friend. And so Kathleen, we're from Little Rock and Kathleen now lives in Nashville, four blocks from me and married a really amazing guy. And then our mom followed us to Nashville and they ended up building a house together. And then we lost our mom now a little over a year ago. And she, just a year before that, had a little guy named Henry. So I am now an aunt and I feel like a grandmother. And too. Henry is adorable, which it would totally be stranger danger if I saw Henry, because I feel like I know him and I'd be like, Henry! And he would scream. He might. Well. His thing now is he's totally on this whole tear of he just pretend, I don't know if he's figured out I'm a counselor, I don't know how he'd do that at two, but he goes, sad, sad, and then he pops up and says, be okay. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you're okay. So we have Stop counseling it. sessions a lot. Look yes. at his so emotional sad. vocabulary at such amazing? a young age, I, I love it, I excellent. Well, guys, we're gonna jump into some questions, and I know that um, you cover so much more on your podcast, and um, I just wanna encourage everybody to check that out. We'll, we'll get to hit on a few things, but I know you you guys, and their resources, their books. I know I said it before, but the one um, that I love so much are my kids on track and with the milestones. I think it's something that, it's for any age. I, look, I learned about myself. <laughs> I'm gonna give Shuggy a copy <laughs> um, so that she can understand how to parent me now, now that I'm 51, you know? Um, but it, it, their, their resources are amazing. Their books are easy to read, um, very practical. Uh, the technology one, t Taming the Technology Monster, how long is that? It, 30 it's, pages. It's maybe? 30 pages, guys. Taming the Technology Monster, but it's so practical, it's so quick. It's, it's right where you are. And, and I love, you guys have the same approach that we do of um, it is not all or nothing. It is teaching them um, as they go. And, and I, I loved everything about that. But I, I wanna jump in and I know that um, this has been huge. It had to have been in your practice. And in the last year, we know that um, most kids have felt at some point or another isolated. And each age, and well, each personality, you know, it affects differently and depending on your neighborhood and things like that. But I had a friend say to me, um, I think that at the beginning of you know, the pandemic, the isolation, the being with family was so incredible for teenagers. But then as it wore on, um, I think maybe those teenagers who don't drive yet, 
became the most isolated. And so I'm wondering if you've seen that and then what a mom could do um, to empower, to encourage her child who's experiencing that. Are you asking specifically about teenagers or all ages? About all ages, but that's my observation, and Mm -hmm. that's what this mom was talking about, the isolation. The question that I have is about, um, and then some of them are still not in school. Yes, yes, some in Nashville too. I I would say the exact same thing. I mean, I feel like leading up to the pandemic, what I was talking about the most with girls in my office, and we'll be talking about tomorrow, was anxiety. And it was just rampant before it started and predominantly in elementary school aged girls. So the average age of onset was eight, then we were seeing it drop to six. And so those little girls were so anxious. And then got on my Zoom screen when we all went to stay at home and they were, they felt so filled up by so much time with you of getting to bake with you and go for walks and all those things. And, And so I felt so much better about them. And initially I can remember, I remember one teenage girl saying to me, I never knew I liked to be alone, which what an awesome thing for an adolescent to discover. And another one who had so much anxiety and literally, I think, participated in 23 activities every week. And she said, I didn't know it was too much and it's too much and I've got to pull back. So I feel like they were having these great realizations in the beginning. And then as the months have marched on, it's just gotten really hard. And so the adolescents were the ones that I felt like got really anxious to the degree that in, I think probably because I was bored some, in maybe early April, I started writing a book for teenage girls. And I literally wrote this book in 10 weeks because I was so worried about adolescent girls and just felt like they were so isolated. And y'all know, I mean, teenagers, but especially teenage girls, just come to life around their peers. And they weren't able to do that. And so we were seeing, at least with the girls particularly, this anxiety ramp up. And then today, I would say every one of our counselors on staff that's working with girls feels like the depression is what's on the heels That's what I was wondering. And it's it's now swelling and, and more kids talking. Honestly, this is terrible, but I have had more kids talk about suicide than any other time I remember in the last five years, which this is a whole nother thing we could talk about, but since 13 Reasons Why. Those feel like the two phenomenons in the yeah. last five years. I, 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 that it, that totally makes sense to me though. Yes. All of that is very logical yes. when you look at it. What so would you then, say about boys? Yeah, so interesting for you to say it. I was thinking 13 Reasons Why was like a pandemic in it itself, was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yes, yes. It's, you know, with boys it was interesting because our office is, located in one county and then we serve a lot of families who are in some neighboring counties Mm -hmm. and one interesting it was almost like a case study the county where we're located still has not gone back to school the neighboring county has and so we were seeing kids who were going back to school kids who weren't and the difference was shocking and that's not to say every kid who got to go back to school in person was doing great but it was fascinating to see even any degree of interaction making a difference for all the reasons that Sissy just named. And the other thing that happened with those kids who were back in school, where I was seeing a real effect with boys, I talked on my breakout about how boys have a lot of physicality to their emotion yeah. and they need outlets to release that. And I think boys, there are a thousand reasons why I love sports for boys, but I think it is this resource, this ongoing resource when they have practices and games and opportunities to just release a lot of emotion they're not even aware that they're doing. Absolutely. In addition to, I think that's where boys experience a lot of relationship of just 
you know, we're action-oriented doing creatures, so when we're together doing something, there's a lot of relationship that happens. And for the boys in the county who couldn't have any of that, um, I started to see the effects of that trigger a lot of anxiety and depression. And they were obviously not having extracurricular opportunities, spending way more time on devices, and that was doing harm on, sure. on a whole nother level as well. And so I think it's, it's not surprising to hear that any parent would ask that question. So then, so then let's talk about how to give hope to those parents. Um, so let's say that the, the schools, they're not in school. And so, okay, that's not a decision now where we, we don't want to, you know, make excuses or be a victim of our situation. Sure. So then let's figure out what could we do. So looking for ways to interact, whether it's church, whether it is, um, you know, dance class, sporting events, I, I would be very intentional about finding opportunities for that interaction. What would you guys say to in that? In person. In person, yes. 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 Because there are places now, I mean, that are in person. You can find something that is in person. Right, somewhere. Because I, I mean, at least for girls, I think the social media has replaced, social media has replaced relationships so much. And we all know that's the highlight reel. And I think it's just making the anxiety and depression that much worse. So. I would say definitely connect them in person and get them off their screens as much as you can. And I say that, and then we have talked so much about how we have never sat with as many parents who feel as discouraged as they do as right now. And, and, and technology is a part of it. I think it feels like the wheels have gone off and it's just hard to pull it back in. And so, you know, you would say the same thing. Be aware of screens and getting them off screens, and it's okay if you can't at times. And, yes, you know, yes. Don't yeah. beat yourself up if you feel like you're not doing that right. Well, we, we do what we need to do to survive sometimes, right. and we understand that it's a season. Yes. Uh, but uh, we do understand also that whatever patterns you're putting in place, just understand mm -hmm. that, that you will need to undo that eventually. It's okay. It's just like I'm, I'm going to put it in a different category. I'm going to say that when I took Joe his lunch when he forgot it, um, do I know that I was causing problems for his future wife? Sure. And, and, and like we, we, we say all the time, you know, what is the best thing? Let your children learn and, and experience the natural consequences. And I go, take the key, if you want to take your daughter her homework, take it. On the way there, you just tell yourself, today I'm choosing to delay her development. And, and, I, and I feel the same way. Like, that's okay. I'm just saying, okay, I'm going to have to undo this. Just acknowledge yeah. the reality yeah. that you will have to undo that. And I'm not saying the screens are bad. Just acknowledge the reality that you're going to have to undo that. And that's okay. Sometimes you make that choice. It's give and take. And, and, and I think so. And it's not about guilt, guys. It's about opportunity. It's about opportunity. And so I, I think when it comes to COVID, I, I do think that was a particular teenage question. And then coping techniques with the new um, reality of being um, isolated and not being able to do those things. Um, but I, I think that, I, I think getting them in person as much as possible. Um, and, and do you believe the longer, so like let's say you have a, a family, a, a child who is naturally fearful, and then is this making, the longer, because how, how, how do you know when to push your child? Okay, you're going back to in-person. The school is open. They've said you can, but the child doesn't want to. How does a person, how does a mom know when to push? I, I think it certainly starts with knowing your child, knowing their strengths, knowing their struggles. I think, obviously, we don't want to make any decisions that aren't safe, and every family has unique circumstances. You may have extended family members. You may have 
immediate family members who have you know, chronic illness or circumstances where that's just not a possibility. So certainly acknowledging that we start there. I think beyond that, if the opportunity exists, I think that's so much what you talk about and your work on anxiety. Like the longer we go without exposing kids to the things that they're fearful of, the deeper the anxiety can get. And Sissy talks so well in her book about creating ladders of exposure, but always being about moving kids in the direction of what feels most fearful. And I love even when you talk about the definition of anxiety that you came up with when you wrote the book. Will you tell that? Yeah, <clears throat> that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. Can you repeat it? I love it. I anxiety love it. is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. And so to what you were talking about, when we step in and rescue them from a situation, which the two co most common parenting strategies with anxiety are escape and avoidance. And so when we step in and do that, we're saying, yep, it's too big. You can't do it, which is the opposite message we want them to get. And what you were talking about, I had a group of high school girls last night that are juniors and seniors that I was meeting with, and one of them is a senior. She's been out of school now for a year, and they thankfully are going back Wednesday. I'm so excited for her because she said to our group, I cannot fathom what it would be like to go from no school to college and having to set wow. foot on yeah. a college campus. And this is a girl who historically has some anxiety. And so, I mean, I would say maybe even having the conversation with them of say you're in that situation and your child's not going back and they might be going to college. Okay, let's brainstorm together because I think anytime they can give input, they're gonna be more on board. So let's brainstorm together some ways to work back towards the things you're scared, afraid of. And so we're gonna take a baby step and then the next step and then the next step toward that, but we're gonna be taking steps. Like uh, that's great for adults. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that right there is truth for anyone taking the baby steps. And guys, the, the reality is we all know people, we all know adults who've been home for so long and for, with good reason. And now um, maybe they're even vaccinated already, but getting back to the, you know, going out, I think it's gonna, we have to acknowledge that that's significant. I feel awkward. You bet. <laughs> I mean, you bet. I don't know if y'all been in, well, we're in a bigger crowd now, but I feel kind of awkward and I wouldn't have ever felt awkward and before. And they have both been vaccinated, so we're sitting this close because we're rule followers around here, guys. Um, and so, but, but did you, like after the vaccination even, you feel like, you, because you've been so used to being small safe and cautious and small groups, well, right? Yes. We, we spoke out of town last weekend for the very first time. We've done a live event since it started. And it was like, I don't remember how to hold the microphone. I don't remember where to stand. I don't remember, like it was fascinating and it felt like such a picture of what we're talking about that kids yeah. are experiencing. Like, I don't we're remember how to do practice. those things. Sure. Yeah, any opportunity, I think, um, as far as we, you know, don't add to your to-do list, be intentional with what you're already doing. If there's any opportunity to get your child in an in-person activity, then, and to practice it. brave things. And to practice Whatever brave things. Whatever that looks like. Yes, and for your child to see you to practice brave things. Mom, try something new, a new sport, a new skill, a new hobby, especially if you stink at it. That is the best thing your child can see, is for you to stink at something and to enjoy it anyway. 
I think that is great. Emily, I'm not talking to you. Every other child. <laughs> uh, but that, no, that, that's huge. And so I, I think anxiety, um, and I'm excited that you're talking about it, talking about it more um, tomorrow. But I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about now, uh, I love um, preparing. So we're talking a lot about how to react to kids who do have anxiety, kids who are stressed. But can we get on the other side now and talk about things we can build into our children? So um, what are some of the... Um, um, basic things, maybe three practical things that a mom can do to arm her child, to prepare her child with social emotional skills. Starting early, with Henry even. That's sad. It's yeah. a great question. I would say one of the easiest, most foundational things I think any mom could do immediately would be getting your hands on a feelings chart. I don't think we could talk enough about that. We both feel so strongly and to lay a really solid foundation of just helping our kids develop an emotional vocabulary so that whatever the circumstances, like the one we're living in right now, where we're gonna have a lot of feelings, our kids are going to face so many different things throughout the course of their life, just as we all did. And so to be able to talk about, articulate your experience, I don't think parents could start too early. And we talk about, we have a feelings chart online. You could download one off our website. And even if kids can't read the words, they can look at the expression and start to understand what that means and make those beginning connections. And it's, it's really a lot like if, if any of you have kindergartners, you know, we talk about how in every kindergarten classroom across the country, there is, you know, letters of the alphabet hanging up somewhere. And it's just that reality that kids can see the letters as they're learning those, and letters form words, words form sentences, those foundational building blocks of reading, they can make connections better. So if we can do that with kids emotionally, they can just start those foundational connections that are invaluable. That would be one starting point. So the feelings chart, you guys have one on your website, um, and don't you have one with Lucy? I do, in the little girl's anxiety book called Braver, Stronger, Smarter. Yes, yes. I've seen the one with Lucy, but and, and it's just Lucy's building my that. Dog. And and there are, there are a lot of them. We we have one on our website as well. Um, but you guys um, have well, uh, your your cartoons are really cute. Um, but but I I think if if your kids are in school, and I know in our school district they do that now. They've built that into every morning. That's awesome. Isn't that incredible? Yes. I love that. And so when I was talking to some kids, when I was preparing for Own Your Mind business, they said they start the day. Um, and I was asking them about, you know, I was letting them cho choose the words, getting their input on what should be on our feelings chart. And it was amazing what they'd done at school. I do think schools are learning the significance and that we cannot separate academic achievement from emotional health. I think that's so significant. And so when a little kid's uh, mind is scattered or afraid, you can't expect them to come down and do a math problem. And, and so to, and, and I do think the schools are learning that. I, I love that so much. And so is there anything else that you would add? Well, probably because I'm working more with girls, one of, I think, the biggest issues for girls is self-regulation. You know, one to 10 scale that we're just having more and more girls who are living at 10. You know, when we were growing up, if we were really mad at our parents, we would have threatened with something like, I'm gonna run away from home. And they don't say that anymore. I've not had a child say that in 15 years in my office. But now instead, y'all know what they say. What do they say? I wanna kill myself, yes. 
That's what they say. And we're Wait having a minute. We've gone from I'm going to run away to and now do you believe and you have to take it seriously so it doesn't matter. Exactly. You you have to you have to respond, okay? I'm going to I'm going to go there real quick. Okay. If a child says that, what's the appropriate response? Put him in the car and drive to the hospital. So, is there a follow-up question? Is there a is there I mean, I would probably ask them in the car. Tell okay. me what that means. Do you, I mean, what we would ask in our offices, we would try to get to if they have a plan. If a plan, that's what I'd heard yes. with the, um, but really, but we have to take it seriously. Especially in the pandemic, especially with the suicide rates, what they are. I so mean, when you say a hospital, where do we go? The ER, and they'll direct you. They'll okay. get you to the right place. Like at Vanderbilt, they have a different um, mobile unit comes over and meets you there and then they'll take you to the second so I know for a mom that that's a big step to take yes you know and my seven-year-old I've had moms as young you know with six-year-olds say that you know and, and um, we obviously encourage follow-up and, and that's a big step for a mom to take because I think now she's got to go oh wow okay I've got to get in the car and say these words out loud to somebody else now yeah. and um, but we have to remove shame remove isolation let's say you know, you get there and it was a false alarm. We'd rather be there Absolutely. with the false alarm. And yes. your child just heard, she hears me. Exactly. But because and what they really want to know is that she hears me. And so worst case scenario, you know, you're already ready for it. And then best case scenario, you've now, um, you know, reminded your child, I hear your words and I take them seriously. Right. And in light of self-regulation, we have more kids who I think are using that as a manipulation strategy. And so you're calling them on it too. You bet. On that drive to the yes, hospital. Yes, yes. They're less likely to throw that out right. there Right, absolutely. That's so great. Yes. So it, can you explain self-regulation real quick, please? So kind of to that point, I mean, kids are also not saying I'm stressed. They're saying I have anxiety. They're not saying I'm sad, I'm depressed because they feel like as the language has gotten more intense, if they don't use that language, no one's gonna listen to me. And so it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think their emotions are following suit. And so we have so many kids who just live life at 10 now that they don't know what we know that most of life is in the really three to seven range. And so even when it, if we were gonna make a scale, even when the situation is a three, they react at a 10. And some of y'all have kids that are living in that space. And so I think one of the things we wanna think about, I mean, there are things we can do preventatively, but most of the time what we do is that child gets to 10, acts out, and we say, you're grounded. In hopes that next time they're gonna think, hmm, last time I did that, I got grounded. I don't think I'll do that again this time. And right, how often does that really work? It just doesn't so much. But what happens when we're doing that is we're regulating them. If I give a consequence after the fact, I'm regulating them. What we wanna do instead is give them a warning. So something I use all the time in my office is a stoplight system. So green light, yellow light, red light. It's like what they do at school. And so you come up with a list of coping strategies ahead of time that is your yellow light list. And they have it hanging in the space that David talks about a lot. And so when you can tell your child is moving up that scale, you know, whatever it is, they clench their fists, their face turns red, you say yellow light and they know in that moment they're gonna go do something on the list to come back down. If they don't, they get a consequence, but that in effect is their warning. So you're giving them a chance to regulate themselves 
rather than you regulating them. Okay, so so you would have then a system, and so this is for boys and girls. Boys and girls. Not just girls, we've got a lot of feelings in our house, a lot of volume, a lot of feelings, um, and so you would have the, but the conversation would be had when things are calm. Absolutely. The, it would be a beforehand, or it would be after a blow up, let's say, or, or an explosion, whatever it is, and then you would come back and go, you know what, um, let, let's talk about how we can do better next time, or how, and, and so then make a plan for yellow light coping. What would you call that? I mean, it could be, yeah, yellow light list or just coping. A yellow light list. And can you give me a couple of examples of what would be on a yellow light list? Um, For boys, a lot of times, one of those bozo bop it things. One of those huge clipboards, you know, you can buy now with big paper where they can draw a feelings chart, any kind of worry kind of things. I send parents home from my office a lot by way of U-Haul to go get those huge rolls of bubble wrap because the jump on bubble wrap is real gratifying. I'm going to get me some for myself. There you go. Oh my gosh, okay, so what we wanna give them then, what you're saying is, it's okay that you feel the feeling, but how you express it matters. Absolutely. So the degree of feeling is excellent. I I don't want to, I don't want you to feel less. I don't want you to be less passionate. I don't want you to be less intense. We just have to learn how to work as a family. (laughs) Right. The rest of us can't handle. No, but but this is not, because it's really not about um, you, it, it's about this child in a professional setting, in a college dorm, in a marriage, in a family. And so what we wanna do, our responsibility, our opportunity is to provide coping skills so that they learn and they appreciate that passion. They, I don't want them to resent that passion or resent that you know, emotion. And I was talking to a mom earlier who said that she had a boy who is a lot of feelings and lets it all out and lets it, you know, and so how would you, what would you tell her? I said, you know, it, it, letting it all out is sometimes um, easier to deal with because you see it than the child who keeps it all in. I'm not saying that every physical illness is a result of stress or a lot of emotions, but I saw in my son who was not one to let it all out, it manifested itself in headaches and throwing up. He was really stressed about a football coach and we didn't know it. And he was not one to say it all out loud. He didn't even know that he was feeling the feelings. So a mom who then has a son who is expressing all the feelings, what would you tell her? It's the regulation as well, I think. Go ahead. I was thinking as you were asking that, Julie, that I think it's so important in my mind Anytime I sit with boys, anytime I have an opportunity to sit with parents to remind them that it's good for boys to understand that's part of how God hardwired us. Like that physicality piece we were talking about, like we have a lot of physicality to us. It's why the research says that toddler age boys are more prone to biting, hitting, kicking, screaming. Adolescent boys are more prone to punching holes in drywall. It's that way of acknowledging like you have that in you. So the only objective is we got to figure out how to get that out. And I'll talk a lot with teenage boys about one of the definitions of depression is anger turn, turned inward, which is exactly what you were describing. Can you say that sentence yes. again, Yes, one please? of the definitions of depression is anger turned inward. So I've turned on myself. I've turned the emotion on myself as opposed to it coming out. And so that movement, that outward movement, that again is instinctive in him from early on, we wanna keep moving it outward. We just wanna help him find constructive outlets 
for that. And I think we do a lot of calm down with boys that is in some ways, if we think about the messaging there, is kind of in opposition to what he's needing. And, and in some ways, kind of an invitation like go inward. We're not saying that, but it may be. So I think part of going back to what Sissy said about regulation, like how could I come alongside him in moving toward, and we have a blueprint for the space and are my kids on track of how you could create something like that for him so that he's always going in that direction and not turning it on himself. I love that, and I've heard you say many times, and I, I love, you know, the anger is a secondary emotion. And so if you have a child who appears angry a lot, you know, or easily angered, um, it's an opportunity to share with them, you know, wonder if there's anything else going on and, and pull out that feelings chart and give them the words to say, and give them permission to say it. Because sometimes, moms, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about this tomorrow, we don't like icky feelings. We certainly don't like our children to have them. I, I feel like my job is to make sure my kids are happy all the time. And, and if they're sad, then I'm not doing a good job. And it becomes about me um, instead of about them. And so we have to release that. And my child's emotions are not necessarily a reflection of my parenting, my, my failure. And so I have to create an environment in my home where any emotion is okay to feel. And then I, I don't react, you know, to negative emotion in a negative way. Or if you're like me and someone has a negative emotion, you suggest a snack. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I, I think I started it when they were super young, you know? Do you need a cookie? Are you crying? Do you need, did you have a bad day? Do you need ice cream? Did you, was that hard? Do you need some goldfish? I'm like, what? I did not think that was effective. Again, sorry, Emily. I'm gonna be an amazing grandmother, you guys. I'm gonna be amazing. But, but I do think un, you know, negative feelings in our children make us uncomfortable. And, and a lot of times it's because we're making it about ourselves. So when our kids express it, then what should a mom's reaction be? And actually, it's not gonna be an emotional reaction. It's gonna be an intentional response. So what should our response be? I, Julie, I was thinking as you were sharing that, pre-COVID, I had this really vivid memory. I was at a funeral for an older man in our community and I, who I'd known a long time, and he had two grandsons, one who was six, one who was 14, and the boys were up front at this one point in the service, and the six-year-old boy laid his hands at his grandfather's closed casket was in the front of the church laid his hands over it and started sobbing and he just was crying i love you i miss you i love you i miss you and his 14 year old grandson was standing over with his arms folded and his lip was kind of quivering but he just looked stoic and i remember after the funeral a person saying to me like i feel so worried about that little six-year-old boy and I remember wow. thinking, I don't at all. Yeah. I don't at all. I feel really worried about that 14-year-old boy. And yeah. I think it was that sense of just, they were uncomfortable, and we often are, to your question, with all that emotion. And I was thinking, I hope on the ride home, someone said to the six-year-old boy, you were doing exactly what you should be doing. Missing your grandfather, weeping over someone you love, thinking about what your life is gonna be like without him. Like that's grief, healthy grief right there. I hope so much that was, as opposed to him absorbing some message, like that was too much. 
right. way too much. Right. I do think, and you talk about this a lot, um, and temperament. It, is such, it plays such a big role in things like um, responding to change in school with COVID, isolation. Temperament has a lot to do with how you respond to isolation. Grieving, your, your temperament and um, anger, I, I think how you express it. So what do you see, and I'm, I'm, this is my own question, um, but uh, how does temperament affect that? And, and what is the mom's response when you have the opposite temperament of your child? to be sensitive to that. How do we learn our kids' temperament? Great question. I'll share one thought, then you say what you're saying, uh, what you're thinking. I really think studying our kids' temperament is so incredibly important and leaning in, and, and you all know who have been so kind to share with us that you listen to the podcast, that we really do believe in the Enneagram is a game-changing tool in terms of understanding yourself and I think beginning to understand our kids as well. And I think that could be an invaluable tool to start to under, understand more of how you see the world, how other people do, and therefore how they would experience emotions and process those. And that some numbers on the Enneagram are in a stance where they're feeling repressed. So it's really hard just to get access to those. And then there's some numbers on the Enneagram that lead with emotions and their emotions are all over the place and, and flying the plane sometimes. And so I think knowing that would allow us to respond to that child or that spouse or that person with a sense of understanding why it might be harder for them to get access or where they would lead with that would be one thought I would have. What would you add? I think I would add just being curious, asking questions, even the basic you know, any of you who have been in marriage counseling at any point, that basic like listening 101, like what I hear you saying is that feels like it's gonna do nothing and then all of a sudden you're in counseling and it's magical that it actually works. And so reflecting back to your kids. So I think being curious about them, paying attention to them, and I would add paying attention to yourself and what the temperament of each child brings out in you because David oh, that is so good. Yeah. would say that every parent has one child that pushes their buttons more than any of the rest, and that it's often the oldest child of your same gender, or it's the child who's most like you. And so, paying attention to what it's bringing I'm up I'm looking at you. my daughter right here, who's <laughs> the oldest, and I'm curious about how she feels about that. <laughs> but Emily, you know what? I'm gonna bring you a feelings chart, and we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> Emily, at this point, we're gonna have you come on up and sit in this chair, we're gonna do a family right session. Here. Please no. Yeah, but I, I, think I do. That, yeah, I mean, I do that's think such so. an important piece of it is being aware of what it's stirring in you, their emotion. Because I think when we're uncomfortable and they're pushing our buttons, we're more likely to shut that child down and not be as attentive to that child. Yes, I would say going back to Emily. Sorry, um, but she's sorry, so much Emily. more. She's so much more. Oh, she has a microphone. No. She, uh, um, you can, Emily, if you want to. Um, but she's so much more like my husband, and my son is more, as far as our raw personality. So it's interesting. Oh, no, you're not? Not anymore? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Joe is a lot like my husband, too, now. But, um, but I, I think that understanding, and, and some people are resistant to pro personality profiles. And I do think you have to be cautious. Not, oh, my child's a six, I've gotta do this. Or my child's a four, I've gotta do this. It's not what we're saying. We're saying, just understand that your child interprets things differently than you do. That your child hears things differently than you do. That your child expresses things differently than you do. It's just about understanding differences. And it doesn't matter 
what personality profile. It's just self-awareness and others' awareness. And, and that's the goal. And so whatever person, you know, just being curious and just acknowledging we're different and that I may see things or, well, I mean, it didn't affect this child like, you know, it obviously didn't do anything wrong because look at him over here, it didn't affect him. When in reality, you know, two children, twins from the same family born at the same time can respond completely differently to the exact same situation. So just, I think just understanding and being curious. I think that's so good. We learn so much about ourselves. Sometimes we're really, you know, when we're learning about our children, we don't really want to learn about ourselves. No, I was here to talk about what I need to do for them. And, but in reality, I do think, I think that's part of the game. Um, well, I think we're about to run out of time. Did you have something else to say? You go. Well, I was just thinking about a family that I'm working with right now. And I think based on what you're saying, it's not even, I, I would add their needs are different too. And that I think yes. when we learn more about them and more about ourselves, I, I have a mom who's a one. If anyone knows the Enneagram, we are both ones, so I can call us out. And, you know, we think we're right about most things. And this, we are, yes, we are right about a lot. You're right. And this sweet mom thinks she's right. And so she thinks what she needs is what her daughter needs. And she cannot see past herself to get there. And I think I've said it to her 30 times in our last session. She needs something different than you. And we can't get there if we're not aware of ourselves and how we're placing that on them and if we're not being a student of them, which is exactly yeah, what Yeah, before said. we teach our children, we have to learn our children. And so I, I think that is a significant, if you can just be intentional about learning them and, and just be curious. I love that. And, and I'm, I'm new to the Enneagram, but I'm super into it. Um, and I, I think it's amazing. I really do. Funny story. Okay, so we were in I, was in, I was teaching in LHC Kids. I told you guys this. I was teaching in the third, fourth, and fifth grade. And we were talking about um, what had just happened in Austin. We were in a freeze. And a lot of families were without power for days. A lot of others without food um, or without water. And so... Um, I just said, you know, so how did that make you feel? And how do you think your neighbors were feeling? And then this one little boy just said, you know, I said, well, because it can start you thinking about what could be. And he goes, he raised his hand. He said, we call that what if thinking. And um, what if this happened? What if that happened? It's sick thinking. And then a little girl raised her hand and said, I'm a four. I'm easily overwhelmed. And then... <laughs> Uh, I mean, they're like third and fourth grade. And then this little boy, I mean, he was big. He was probably a fifth grader. I'm in the back of the room then getting ready for the next uh, thing. And he turned to me and he goes, I'm a nine, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever. And I'm just like, look at these kiddos just learning about them. I'm a nine, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> I'm like, it was like the greatest moment ever. But empowering the children to understand, it's not putting them in a box. It's not saying this is what you are. It's saying how interesting that we're all different and that we can look at the same situation and interpret it differently. And then it, it makes us aware of others and how our words may be heard in a different way that we intended. I, I think it's so significant. I love that. I love personality profiles. Um, but thank you guys so much. I appreciate thank it. You I can ask you us. a million questions. Guys. The next question here, and this is gonna be for another time. I'm just gonna throw it out. What's the best age to start talking to your kids about sex? Sorry, we don't have time for that. So, 
We're going to, but you guys actually teach. Do you have a book on that or you have a session on that? Yes. Oh, okay. You need, Go you ahead, give just a answer. quick answer. Yeah. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> I'm so glad Emily doesn't have a mic right now. That's a whole nother story. Toddler age. You knew it. And obviously, we're not talking about intercourse with toddlers, but we're introducing some foundational things about sexuality. And there's a great series that we both love and recommend often called God's Design for Sex that the first, it's a four book series and the first book in the series is for three to five year olds. And it's Can called the story the of- Can you give the name of the series one more time? It's called there. God's Design for Sex. It was written by Stan and Brenna Jones. I love that it's a male and a female perspective. He is a clinician, he's a professor at Wheaton and he and his wife wrote it together. And so it's a parent perspective, a clinician perspective, a male and female perspective. But the first book in the series is called The Story of Me, and it's just basically, this is how God made a boy's body, this is how God made a girl's body, and it's all good. And it's, it's great introduction that would be age-appropriate content. They did the follow-up books with um, pediatric nurse, and, and it's all anatomically sound, age-appropriate, really rich content that I think could begin and give that, that conversation. title one more time. God's Design for Sex. God's Design for Great Sex. Great four-book series that would be a good starting point. And I think, too, last thought I would say on that is just that I think just stepping into that conversation understandably feels overwhelming for a lot of parents. Maybe it's because there just are some really hard chapters within your sexual story. Maybe because I, we work with a lot of parents who would say, like, no one talked with me growing up or barely talked with me, so we don't know how much information is too much. So it's great to have a guide, some resources of just what are the right conversations at different ages would be a good starting point. So don't you think how I just threw that out there was funny? <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't know you were going to have such a brilliant answer to it. That was excellent. And I know you guys do teach a session on that. I mean, not here. We're not doing it here this weekend. <laughs> would you, we're just going to add that. <laughs> just kidding. Right. I'm just kidding. Yeah, why not? You know. But um, thank you so much, you guys. You so uh, seriously, much we just feeling. can't say enough. Your tone, your demeanor. Okay, I want to add that I just discovered this that you can go to daystarcounseling.com and you can set up a Zoom consult. Are you joking me right now? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You know what, Emily? I feel like I should pay for one for you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. I want to remind you to go to RaisingBoysAndGirls.com, DaystarCounseling.com. Go to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. Their books are amazing. Like I said, um, easy to read, very practical, very encouraging. You can tell you guys are cheerleaders for parents too. You don't just tell them um, information um, that can make their lives better, but you, you cheer them. You empower them and you cheer them on. That's pretty awesome. So thank you so much. And um, we're going to now uh, say goodbye to our online audience. Bye. See you later. Thank you so much. We're so glad you joined us today. You can get more resources and information at fearlessmom.com.